We have uh, ch- our children in here because on the first Sunday of each month, it's our family Sunday, and so they get to be a part of this. Let me ask you guys this. So if you're still in school, how many of you guys are in school? Raise your hand. All right, we got a lot of y'all in here. Okay, all right. Now, ha- be honest. Have you ever looked at another kid and the way they were behaving and thought, mm, their mommy and daddy should have spanked them more? Anybody ever thought that? Okay, all right, all right. I'll ask the children, adults, why are y'all raising your hands? Now, how many of you adults in here have ever looked at your children and thought, hmm, I should have spanked them more? Anybody? Okay, all right, all right. That's good. And for those of you who don't agree with spanking, I apologize for using that form of discipline. But it's pretty common in the South, you know, as a form of things that we do um, to let people know. Uh, but I will say that if you don't like the form of discipline of spanking, then you probably will not like today's sermon because God's punishment goes a little past that. This is one of those sermons that is, it's, it's a nerve, nerve-wracking type sermon to preach because when it's time to preach the sacrifice of Jesus and what he has done for us and how much he has proven his love for us and how he's poured himself out for our good and his glory. Those sermons are easy to preach. Those are fun to preach. Rebellion without repentance leads to punishment. Not as fun to preach. And I'm just preaching this sermon about something that happened thousands of years ago. What must it have been like for Jeremiah, who had to say these words, to his friends, his countrymen, to his preachers, to the priests, to the leaders of the, of the temple and, and, and the religious leaders of the time. He had to say these things to them because not even they were listening. Not even they were paying attention. And so what we're going to look at today, it's going to really, um, if you have studied Jer- sorry, Isaiah and some, and some of the other prophets, then this is going to be This is not going to catch you by surprise. This is a common theme in many of the prophets because uh, most of the prophets, if they don't overlap, like Isaiah and Jeremiah don't overlap, Isaiah is in the northern kingdom, Jeremiah is in the southern kingdom, but they're dealing with the same issues pretty much. What What Isaiah dealt with in the northern kingdom, Jeremiah is dealing with in the southern kingdom. And then if you look at some of the other prophets, uh, like Daniel, for example. Daniel overlaps with Jeremiah. We, we've already seen Micah talked about is overlapping with Isaiah. Um, it, we, he, meant, he was mentioned in Jeremiah. So as we look at these things, as we look at these different prophets, then you just have to know that, um, that sometimes they had to speak things that were uncomfortable. Now, if you've been here, you know that Jeremiah's nickname is the Weeping Prophet. And the reason that his nickname is the Weeping Prophet is because of the, the difficult things that he had to prophesy, but also because of the punishment that God brought. And he would warn the people and warn the people, and we'll see this again today, and the people just did not heed the warnings. They didn't care. They kept doing things the way that they were doing them. And God brought his punishment. And so I'm giving you a lot of background. Last thing I want to say before we, we jump into this is that um, there will be, as you know, no matter what translation you're reading, whether it's King James Version or we'll, we'll look at English Standard today, NIV, NLT, whatever, uh, CSB, whatever tra- modern translation you're using or 
older translation you're using, they're being translated from the original language, and in this case, Hebrew. And the Hebrew language is very, very strong in some of the passages that we will, the, the verses that we will be reading today. And so in the English translations, translations, the wording is very strong too. And so since it's Family Sunday, there might be a, a time or two where I attempt, no promises, you know how when you're reading, you're reading, but I'm going to attempt to soften some words as we read, okay? So if you see that, that's why I'm doing that, Family Sunday. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, I'm going to just talk about chapters 2 through 4 very, very briefly, and you can flip through this with me if you would like, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, in chapter 2, we see that uh, Israel and, and Judah, they t- it talks about both, Israel, how they have rebelled, and how even the priests, even the preachers of the time, right, even the priests have rebelled and gone against what God desires. And they did not respond to God's correction. Now, we're in Jeremiah, as I've said, but in Isaiah, there's this, like, talking about discipline and spanking. There is this image that is given in Isaiah chapter 1 where God says, I have disciplined you from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. There is no sound part left on your body. It's all bruised up. It's all uh, mushy. And, and you, you still haven't turned back to me. You still refuse to do what I've called you to do. And when we're reading about these things, it's easy for us to see why God is disciplining Israel, or in this case, in Jeremiah's case, Judah. It's because of the horrendous things that they have done. We've already mentioned how they were offering children's sacrifices. That is insane. Not to God with the big G, but to little gods. Um, We've seen how they've done that. Today, we're going to see some more things that they have done that are not okay and that are not good for society in general, not good for their families, not good for the people around them, not good for uh, the love that they are supposed to have for one another, and certainly not honoring to God. And so in chapter 2, we see how they rebelled and, and did not respond to God's correction. And then in chapter 3, we see how Israel is compared to an unfaithful wife and, and Judah a harlot. And we see that it, in, in this theme that is going to be present, that is, it's present in many of the uh, prophets in the Bible. But it, this theme that is going to be present, which is God's people, they have been unfaithful to him as a cheating spouse. And then in uh, chapter 4, we see that if they would repent... God would forgive them, but they won't. Just spoiler alert. They won't repent, but if they would, God would forgive them. And so, since they refuse to repent, and we'll see this repeated in today's passage, destruction is coming from the north. And, that, and even though uh, Babylon was due east of... Uh, Judah of Jerusalem, uh, they would have to go around the desert and come down from the north. And so we know in looking ahead that Babylon is who is being prophesied about here, and, um, and they're coming. And, 
and God himself in chapter 4 is mourning over the destruction that is coming because he is warning them so that they will repent, so that he doesn't have to discipline them. Um, but as we joked about earlier, we've all seen in our lives where if we have no discipline, if we have no correction, where things lead. They don't get better. They just get worse. If we have no praising of good behavior and, and uh, some sort of discipline with bad behavior, then things just get worse. And that's what we see here. God has been patient for their sake. We would look at what he has done and in, in our modern society, the way he has been patient with them, we would say that that is a good characteristic to have. And so we need to be careful not to allow our modern sensitivities to get into the way of what is good and what is true. Because if God is cho- choosing, yes, he's been patient, but if he is choosing to discipline in this moment, then it is the right decision. If he is, whatever he's choosing to do, however he's choosing to do it, God knows what he's doing. This, he, he has not been led here by this impatient type of anger. He has been led here through long-suffering and giving them chance after chance after chance to repent. And he has come to a place where he cannot take the cries of the children who are being sacrificed anymore. He cannot take the cries of the spouses who have been cheated on. He cannot take those who are crying out to him for help, the poor, the mistreated. He, can, he's, he is going to respond to their cries, and that is right for him to do. And so before we get into this, we just you cannot read chapter 5 without the context of what's going on. Because if we're not careful, we will read chapter 5 and some of the other parts of Jeremiah and the Bible in general, and we will think, man, God is so hard here. He's so mean in, in, if, if we're not careful about the way we read it. But the truth is, is that God is love and that he has proven that love over and over and over again. And because he is love and because he is just, he is going to intervene when innocent people are being taken advantage of, when his glory is being sinned against. He will intervene because he is holy and he is good and it's the right thing to do. So with all that said, let's look together at Jeremiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 18. And remember that rebellion without repentance leads to punishment. So verse 1. This is God talking to Jeremiah. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man who does justice and seeks truth. All right, so what's he telling him to do here? Look for anyone innocent. Look for anyone who is living for me. Look for anyone who loves me. And he's telling Jeremiah to do that. And so I think that what we need to remember is when we look around and all we see is rebellion, when we look around and all we see is uh, people not repenting, and, and you know where this is headed, that this is going to lead to punishment, when we look around and see that, I think that one of the things that is important for us to do, now in Jeremiah's case it didn't work out too well, but one of the things that is important for us to do is to look around for the faithful. Look around for the remnant. Look around for the people who do love God. Look around for the people who are obedient. And it's important for us to do that. Now, I want to make sure that I'm clear with something as we get into this. 
the people in Jeremiah's time did not recognize that they were wrong in what they were doing. They excused it. We're God's people. Do what we want to do. We're God's people. It's okay that this is happening because we belong to God. And, and when Jeremiah or other prophets would say that the punishment is coming, they'd be like, no, we're God's people. He's not going to punish us. Even though, just a generation before, what did he do to the northern kingdom of Israel? He, he punished them. He destroyed them. And yet, Judah is still saying this. But anyway, he tells Jeremiah to look. Look for that person that I may pardon her. Verse 2. Well, let me say this before we move on, that I, that I may pardon her. If we repent, if we turn back to God, he's willing to pardon. He's willing to forgive. We, we have to remember that. As long as we still have breath in our lungs, there is still time to repent. There is still time to turn to him. And the opportunity was there. The offer was there, but they refused it. Verse 2, though they say, as the Lord lives yet they swear falsely. So these people are saying, hey, as the Lord lives, he's not going to do this to us. As the Lord lives, here's what's really going to happen. But they're swearing falsely. They're, saying, they're basically saying, by God, without God approving what they're saying. And, or saying, I, I swear to God, without God approving the promise that they're saying that he has made. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O oh Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. This is similar to the Isaiah chapter 1 where God has brought punishment and yet they didn't respond to it. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. If the first round of discipline by God did not achieve the desired fruit you think he just gives up no in fact do you think that he didn't know what discipline would work the first time he knew but he is patient and to show his goodness and his faithfulness he doesn't always just skip right to the harshest punishment but let's continue reading they have made their faces harder than rock they have refused to repent this is the issue. God has tried to get their attention, and they have refused to repent. You know the hardest part about preaching a sermon like this is the people who really need to hear this probably won't hear this, probably won't pay attention to it. There are preachers who preach this passage who need to hear this. And they preach the sermon and it doesn't hit their heart. And I pray that that is not me. And I pray that that is not you. That you are not hearing this sermon about repentance and thinking, oh man, Israel sure were bad. They sure were bad. Or, oh man, America sure is bad. Not that I'm equating Israel and America. I'm just saying this is the country we live in today. And if we're not careful, we can think about how bad other people's sins are without repenting of our own. And 
And we have to be careful to make sure that this is not what we are doing. We have to make sure that we are asking God to look into the deepest part of our hearts and to reveal anything in us that might be wicked. And, and for him to do this a lot of times, that's a dangerous prayer. Because he'll allow something into your life that frustrates you in a way that you've never been frustrated, that stresses you in a way that you've never been stressed, in order to bring out things in you that you didn't know were there. And when those things are revealed, when you know your sin, what should you do? Repent. We turn from our sins. We ask God to forgive us, and we we turn toward the way we're supposed to be living our lives. So as I'm preaching this sermon, again, I can't imagine what Jeremiah felt, because I'm sitting here preaching about what happened, and it's uncomfortable. Imagine what he felt knowing these things were true, having to go through this. And, and so let's just make sure, as verse 3 says, that we are willing to repent, even though they weren't, and God would punish them and they wouldn't recognize it as punishment. Let's make sure that we're ready to repent. Verse 4, then I said, these are only the poor. They have no sense. Well, let me stop there. Just because a prophet says something in, in, in reply to what God has said, or just because King David or Job or whoever in the Bible, unless it's Jesus, just because they say something doesn't mean that what they say is right. And so, in fact, this reveals something about their culture, that, that they weren't taking care of the poor, that the poor didn't have an opportunity for education. And this is not okay. In fact, their neglect of the poor is one of the things that God has against them. And, and yet, apparently, even Jeremiah thought that this was a socioeconomic issue. That it's just the poor who didn't understand the truths about God. And these are only the poor. They have no sense. As it's in education, I'm sure, is what he means here. For they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. Well, why aren't the poor getting preached to just as much as the wealthy. Does that seem okay? And what you know about the Bible? No. We think about one of the, we, we rarely saw Jesus get like fighting mad, right? But what's the time, what, what, what did he turn over in the temple? Yeah, the money changers table. They were trying to make a profit. There were people who needed to worship who didn't have the opportunity to worship because they were charging prices to worship. And so here, this is not okay. This is another thing that God has problems with uh, Judah about. And yet here, even Jeremiah the prophet says, well, this is probably because they're poor and they're not. And he doesn't even acknowledge that this is wrong at this point in, in the book. Okay, verse 5. Let's... What's Jeremiah's solution since it's, since it's probably just that the, they're poor and they haven't heard the truth? Verse 5. I will go to the great and will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. Well, you think this is going to work? Uh, no, because this is, he's writing this as if uh, this has already happened and, he, and he's his quote there was like what he was saying earlier, as if I'm going to do this, but he's already done it. So let's see what the fruit of it was at the end of verse 5. But they all alike had broken the yoke. 
they had burst the bonds. Meaning their faithfulness to God, they're, they're being yoked up. So you see, like if you watch an old Western or something like that, and you see the two animals walking side by side, and they've got the wood or whatever it's made out of, uh, yoke that connects them that, so that they're going down the same path and the same trail. Um, the thing that yoked them, the relationship that yoked them with God wasn't there. What Judah's supposed to be doing in the relationship they're supposed to have with God, it's not there. This generation didn't have it. It's been broken. The, the bonds have been burst. Verse 6. Therefore, a lion from the forest shall strike them down. A wolf from the desert shall devastate them. So imagine back in this day. This is before guns, right? And so what's the deadliest thing that you're going to face? It's going to be this wild beast, right? I mean, if you think about uh, during uh, this time when uh, Daniel is being punished, what kind of den is he thrown into? The lion's den. And so a lion from the forest shall strike them down. This is terrifying. This is, they're coming after you. Whatever your worst nightmare is, Judah, God is coming. And this is what it's going to look like. A lion from the forest shall strike them down. A wolf from the desert shall devastate them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their apostasies are great. They have continued to sin. They have continued to sin. They have continued to sin. They have even completely turned away from the Lord their God. And so punishment is coming. Verse 7. How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and truth to the houses of harlots. Saying, I gave them everything they needed. I gave them all the love that was offered for me. I have given them everything. And yet, they've turned against me. They've turned to other gods. They've turned to another, it's like a, a woman who's married, her husband turning to someone else or, you know, his wife turning to someone else. They have abandoned their love for something else. Except it's even more crude than that, isn't it? They've just chased their appetites. Even though God fulfilled their appetites, even though God offered everything they needed for joy, for purpose. You, you have a need in your life, God can fulfill it. And they have turned to other avenues for that. They, verse 8, were well-fed, lusty stallions, each name for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things? You think it's okay for people to just be homewreckers? You think it's okay for people to just chase after their every desire? Well, our, we live in a, in a culture that tells you to do that. Just do what's best for you. But biblically, that is not what God is saying. That is not what God tells us. God has to ask some other things. Primarily, what is best for God's glory, for him? What is going to honor him the most? 
And then when we find the answer to that, we're also going to find what is best for community, what is best for our families, and ultimately what is best for us as individuals. But when we seek after what we think is best for us because we have these desires in us, well, if the root of the desire is sinful, which it often is, and if we're chasing after that desire just to fulfill our, our longings, then that's selfish. And, and we have to make sure that we're chasing after it with those first two priorities first, that it's what's best for God, best for others, and best for us. And so, God asks, as they're chasing after these passions, you know, hey, I, wanna, I want something, I want my um, crops to grow better. Let me just sacrifice a child. I want this God to be appeased. Let me just sacrifice a child. These are the things that are happening in this country. And when I say this country, I was referring to Judah. But let's just go ahead and make it modern. And maybe the first thought that comes to your mind is abortion. But we don't have to go that far. How many parents are doing what's best for them and their career and their longings and what they want in this house or this car where while their children suffer, while their spouses suffer? And that's just one area of how we chase after our own desires. That's not the only one. But for time's sake, I have to continue. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Go up through her vine rows and destroy. So picture these grapes on, on the vine, these trellises that they're, they're growing up down these rows. And this is what God, he's comparing Israel to this, or Judah to this vine. And he, he's telling Jeremiah, go up through her vine rows and destroy, but make not a full end. So is he really destroying the vineyard? No, he's pruning. Now he's doing it in a very uh, aggressive way, but he's not, he's not going to wipe out. And so we get this hint here of this remnant that we see throughout the prophetic books of the Old Testament, but this group of people this, that, that, yes, God's going to cut things back. Yes, he's going to punish, but he's going to leave a healthy root, a healthy vine that will then later produce the fruit that needs to be produced. Strip away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have been utterly treacherous to me, declares the Lord. And they have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, He will do nothing, no disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets will become wind, the word is not in them, thus shall it be done to them. So when the prophets come, the true prophets, and they speak truth to the people, the people hear what they say and say, that's not going to happen to us. We're God's people. It's going to be okay. The prophets say everything they say is just going to blow away. It's meaningless. It's worthless. And if we're not careful, we do that. We hear some hard teaching. We hear some hard sermon, and we think, that's not me. God's not going to punish me like that. Or we look at our country the country we live in, the United States of America. And we look at that and we say, oh yeah, well, I mean, but look at us compared to other countries. I mean, we have this going for us and this going for us. Look, just because we have a pretty good structure of a system in place doesn't mean that because the system is, and structure is pretty good 
that God is going to excuse the egregious sins of our country. And now, this is God's people. This is God's country. This is different when we look at Old Testament Israel. But let's look at the New Testament version of Israel, which is the church. And let's look at what the church is doing. And it would be easy for us to look at other churches and what they think and what they allow and what is going on there. But let's look at our church, our community. What are the things that Christians or people who call themselves Christians in our own community, what are some of the things that they partake of? What are some of the things that they allow into their homes and into their lives? What are some of the things that they pursue, that they chase after? And so before we start looking at Judah and saying, I couldn't believe they wouldn't repent, we need to look at our own lives. We need to look at our own church. And what are we valuing? What little gods have we created that, that get our attention, that, that get our dedication more than God gets it? Whether, I mean, honestly, for some of us, we spend more time in front of a television than we do serving God. And I'm not saying TV is bad or evil, but if it has become a God in your life, then it is. How, how would you even know if TV has become a God in your life? Well, does it determine your, your schedule? Does it determine your structure? Does it determine how you're spending your time? And I can't do this thing that's good because I have to watch TV. And, it, and it, maybe it's just an hour or two hours or three hours, and then maybe it's that daily, and how much time are we spending thinking that we're going to get fulfillment from these things? And not to say fulfillment can't come from TV. We can get fulfillment from TV. If God is first in our life, and we're serving others the way that we're supposed to, then television can be an incredible tool of entertainment and fun and, and escape temporarily. If we're doing what we are need to need to do. But that why do you think the studies show that the longer you sit on the couch in order to watch television, the more depressed you are? Because the longer you sit there, the more you're expecting this box to give you this joy. And again, this is just one example. We can we used work earlier, we used television this time. You can use your phone or whatever it is. There's so many things that we put above God. I'm a preacher. There are times when I put work above God. There are times when I put doing things that I think most people would consider good, and yet I know that I'm supposed to be resting, or I know that I'm supposed to be with my family, or I know that I'm supposed to be exercising so that I don't die in the next few years and I can continue to do what God has called me to do. And yet, there are times when all of those things don't matter and all I'm focusing on is work. And if, you, if any of you have ever done an Enneagram type thing, I'm a type one, so a perfectionist. And I think everything has to be done perfectly and I'm going to, you know, and w negative side of that is there are good things to a perfectionist, right? If you want help with something, ask a perfectionist. And, unless you're working with them, then don't ask them because... It'll be a miserable time working with them. But, uh, but there are pros and cons to it. And we have to all evaluate our lives and ask, honestly, who am I? What's going on in my life? 
Have I turned toward these things? Should I repent? Should I go back to God? Have people warned me? Because I've been thinking about some things recently that looking back on in the, over the last several years, there are these things that people have continued to warn me about. And I've just thought, yeah, for a lesser man, I might not have said that. But that's the attitude I've taken. And now, with my health and other things, guess what? They were right. I didn't listen to the warnings. And now I'm suffering the consequences. So when, people, when God or godly people give you warnings, be ready to listen. Verse 14, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, talking to Jeremiah, he's done what God has told him to, Behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. What is being said is truth, and, and that truth is going to take place. God is going to bring in the enemy from the north, as we mentioned earlier, Babylon. Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open tomb, meaning they're just going to keep on bringing, and death is going to keep on coming. And they are almighty warriors. They shall eat up your harvest and your food. They shall eat up your sons and your daughters. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees, your fortified cities in which you trust. They shall beat down with the sword. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. He is coming at us, and he is bringing his wrath. And he is doing it because we have been disobedient, and we deserve it. But he is also doing it because he loves us, and he knows what is best. And what is best for Judah in this moment is for God to cut them back to the healthy part, to take away all these branches that are not him, as he said earlier. For God to prune and prune and prune and prune, and prune away all the bad stuff until all that's left is what's good. And maybe you're experiencing a lot of pain in your life right now. And I, look, it would be extremely hypocritical for me to be up here and preach this message and act like God has not done and is not doing the same thing in my life. He continues to cut back. He continues to cut back. And it's painful. And if I could choose for it to not be done, because of my weakness, I would probably choose for it to not be done. But God knows what he's doing. And even when he punishes, it's not just because we have been bad. It's because he knows that we can have a good future. It's because he knows that for those of us who are willing to repent, if he will bring us to that place, revival awaits us. And so, are we willing to listen to God when he's speaking destruction? Are we willing to listen to the warnings before he brings that destruction? Are we willing to repent? Because rebellion without repentance leads to punishment. So where are you this morning? I'm not going to rescue you here at the end of the sermon. I'm not going to tell you, 
oh, it's going to be okay. Because that would make me like the false prophets of Judah. I'm here to say that if there is sin in your life, and God has warned you with His Word, with preaching, by friends, whoever, you better repent. Because either you're His enemy, and He will treat you as an enemy, or you belong to Him, and He's about to prune. He's about to punish like you're His child. And earlier today... In this sermon, I asked you, I was like, how many of you have ever seen a kid who you thought that kid should probably have been spanked more? Well, you don't have to worry about that with God and his children. He's coming after us. He loves us too much to not pursue us. He loves us too much to not give us the best future that we could have for his glory and for the good of the people around us and for our good. And so, where do we need to turn today? We need to turn back to God. Now, we stopped it here at verse 18, and, and I didn't have time to get into um, some other places in, in Jeremiah, specifically in chapter 25. Just to real briefly summarize, there is this uh, cup of bitterness, this cup of despair that Jeremiah, it's, it's Jeremiah's prophecies, it's symbolic. And the people don't want to drink it. And God was like, nope, you have to drink it. And, and there's this cup that we want to avoid. When, and the way we avoid it is by repenting. And we, in, later in Jeremiah, in chapter 34, Zedekiah the king, he's, he actually dies because he won't repent. And one of the things that he does, talking about all these things that Judah was doing at the time, God had made this... Uh, deal with them where any of the Hebrew slaves had to be released every seven years. Now, other people, all the slaves had to be released every certain number of years, but in this case, the slaves had to be released every seven years. And slavery in the Old Testament, definitely different or godly, the ones that God had allowed for Judah to, or Israel and Judah to do, um, different than what we would consider slavery today. This was more like... Um, not that you would want to be a slave in any form or fashion, but more like an employee. But, that, but they were supposed to release them every seven years. And guess what the greedy people of Judah decided not to do? They decided not to release the slaves after the, on, on the seventh year. And so uh, God's bringing punishment. So evaluate your life. Maybe there's some things that in, under certain parameters God would allow. But the way you're doing them, he's not allowing it. What's going on in your life? What, where, where do we need to, what things do we need to turn from and turn toward, how do we need to turn toward God? We need to consider these things. We're going to have a time of prayer. And we're going to have an invitation. And during this invitation, I'll be right down here if anyone needs me to pray with them. But if there is sin in your life, you, you need to ask God to forgive you of that sin. You need to go to him right now in your seats or at the altar. But we need to not be like Judah who thinks, well, yeah, I see other people's sins, but God's not going to punish me. I'm his. Or my, I'm, what I'm doing is not that bad. If you know it's sin, it's time to repent. If God has revealed it to you, it's time to turn back to him. 
ask him to forgive you and turn back to him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart right now, that you would help us to see anything in our lives that does not honor you and does not please you. God, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would not let us sleep until we get right with you. Because we know that, that the punishment that will come if we don't repent is worse than a lack of sleep. It's worse than the, the conviction that we might feel in our hearts right now. It's worse than the uneasy feeling. Lord, it's like the lion. It's like the wolf. It's like the leopard. Lord, help us to turn to you right now before it leads to punishment. And God, if you've already began to punish, Lord, help us to realize what is going on and help us to turn to you. Lord, help us to repent. And God, help us to live our lives for you in a way that brings joy to the people around us, not pain. Help us to live our lives in a way that brings joy to you and not pain, as you said that Judah brought you. And so God, help us to honor you with our lives. Convict us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.